calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Seems like a good week for revenge. It's episode 468 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and it is Revenge of the Fifth today. So if you're a Star Wars fan, hopefully you're celebrating just like you celebrated May the 4th be with you yesterday. And speaking of revenge, going to take you to all kinds of different galaxies this, this week with interviews. Going to take you with to One Ranger, which is a brand new movie from Lionsgate, which is out in theaters and on digital HD right now. we got the big bad from that movie, Dean Jagger, talking to me this week about that. Also going to return to the world of Fron, from and talk to Nathan D. Simmons. He plays Elgin on the show. Also, the Big Door Prize two-part finale going to be coming up, so I'll talk to Julieta Mara and Sammy Forlis, who play Trina and Jacob, respectively. Love them together. Get to talk to them so much about their roles on the show. I'm not going to have a completely Star Wars-free show. Are you kidding me? We're going to talk about Star Wars Visions, going to talk about Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures as well, giving my review of both of those, and there's still plenty of nerd news to get to as well. So I guess we need to jump in. Right, let's start with one ranger going to talk to Gene Jagger. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. My name is Bo Smith. I'm the creator of Wine Owner Earth, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Really love this new movie from Lionsgate called One Ranger. It's it's like a mix of certain genres. It's really, really cool. And the guy that plays the big bad in this movie is this guy right here, Dean Jagger. Dean, how you go? How you doing? I'm doing great, James, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, it's actually Dean Jagger. I should correct myself there. Now, I feel like this movie, Dean, 
it doesn't quite fit into a specific genre. It's not a full on Western. It's not a full on like action thriller. How do you describe this thing? It's interesting, isn't it? For me, when I watched the movie, when I read the scripts, it, it holds a lot of nostalgia for me, right? You know, it, it's a good action film that's very pacey, that keeps moving. And it's just a perfect game of cat and mouse. That's what it is. And it has its complexities through it with the characters as well. It's, 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 inter- it's an interesting one. I, I understand why you're saying that, James, actually, because in terms of the character as well, even though he looks like he's having a ball of a, you know, at the time, building this infamy as it goes along, I think through through the course of the film, it becomes quite self-reflective as well and like what he's actually doing. So it has, it, it has heart, I think, as well. For a good old action film, I think this has heart too. It really, really does. Matter of fact, your character is a pretty tough customer, but it runs, like you said, it runs a little deeper than that. How do you describe this guy? Oh, my word. Okay, so I don't know. He's like, you know, he's, he was once he once fought for a cause, right? But he's kind of like fallen from grace. And he's out there on his own. And he's resourceful. He's very intelligent. He's ruthless. And he kind of like knows that he's coming to his end. That's what it is. It's really interesting. He kind of knows he's coming to the end of his, of his rope. And the doors are closing on him. And it makes it very interesting for someone like Declan, like what, what, what happens when a character experiences that. It becomes very unpredictable. It becomes very dangerous. And he plays it like he's got nothing to lose, yeah. He really, really does. Matter of fact, I love the fact that the synopsis for the movie that they give us describes him as a bank robber turned terrorist. That's quite a leap. There, Dean. So, how much can you tell us about what actually is motivating this guy? Well, I think what it is is like if you think about what he was, you know, it was like you know we learned that he's ex IRA, right? And I think that he's just he's lost things to fight for. He's even lost his way in the cause of things. So, I think what he's doing now is chasing chaos, James. Right? That's what he's doing. Is 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 chasing chaos? Yeah. And that makes him even that much more dangerous, for sure. I got to ask, though, Dean, because this is one of the most interesting things about this for me. How in the hell does an Irishman end up in Texas? Well, I mean, it's, like I said, he's a very resourceful guy, isn't he? You know what I mean? And like you said, I think he's a guy that gets about and whatnot. He, doesn't, he likes to stick and move because he's, a, you know, he's, he's high profile, isn't he? He can't be in one place of a, you know, for too long. That's just the nature of the game for someone like McBride. So that's why he's hopping about with this and doing that. And like I said, building this fun and infamy as it, as, as it does along the way. Yeah. It just takes that's a right. lot of, it takes a lot of planning, Dean. I'm just saying that's a, that's a, that's it a pin in the map lot. where you go, let's go there. It takes a lot of planning, mate. He's got about two or three assistants or something like that. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's got interns and we just don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now we get to see a little bit in the trailer of Declan squaring off with the Ranger himself playing by, played by Thomas Jane. What was it kind of like working with Thomas and bringing those scenes to life. Because, I mean, this guy's played the Punisher and all kinds of crazy characters. That had to be I'll, great. I'll, I'll tell you a story about Thomas, right? Okay, so I was introduced to Thomas, like, many, many years ago through a, a mutual friend, producer friend. So I've been a huge fan of Thomas, right, for the, for the longest time. And this producer, he, he knew that. And one day he was going to Thomas's house. So he asked Thomas if I could join. And then Thomas, being as cool as he is, he says, yeah, shit. Why not bring him up to the house? And he bought us Mexican food, and it was wild. And that can only happen in LA. I was like, this is very, very strange. I'm in Thomas Jane's place. No, he's a great guy. He's very professional, and he was brilliant. You know, I've got to say, he's a gamer. You know what I mean? He really brought it and whatnot. It's really interesting to see seasoned actors work. It always is, but he's he's, he's fantastic. He had all the time in the world for me as well. He's brilliant. That's incredible, man. I, I I expect nothing less from him for sure. They both kind of come though, Declan and the Ranger. They kind of come from very different backgrounds, very yeah. different ways of life. Do you feel like they kind of both 
underestimate each other in this thing or is it just kind of maybe they just don't know quite what to think of the other it's a really that's a great question james i feel that it's interesting because it slightly changes in the film their their dichotomy kind of changes so when without giving any spoilers away when obviously it's chasing it's chasing declan down and whatnot i think that the fact that it's so persistent and it's not going away declan respects that and if you think about it, along the way, Declan's got no one to turn to, right, really, through the film. It starts, the doors start closing on him, you see. So in a really odd way, Ranger becomes the consistency in his life. So towards the end, he gets a little bit closer. He feels somewhat closer to this person that's, that's chasing him. And I love that about the script. I got that off the page, yeah. That's interesting. It almost seems like a Batman-Joker type dynamic, the way you're describing it, in an interesting way. That's what it is, isn't it? Because it, it kind of bottlenoses, bottle should I say, into something quite personal, even fanatical, you know, in terms of like Tyree, he's like, he's going to stop at nothing to get this guy. So I, I found that quite fun and I, I found it really interesting. That That is very, very neat. I feel like you've got two different kinds, of, two different parts of the story here. You got the chase with the Ranger, but then you've also got Agent Smith, who's kind of dealing with this, you know, I have to save my country sort of thing. So how much of a problem is she going to be for Declan? I, th I think that Declan is always one step ahead anyways, you know, he's a strategist and whatnot. And I think that he knows not to like stick around a place too long. I feel like that he's, like I said, he's a strategist. He's, he's very intelligent and he's cunning. So I, I don't think he's too worried about Smith. And he knows she's coming, but I don't think it, I don't think it bothers Declan. In a way, in an, odd, in an odd way, I could look at this differently as well. I could say, you know what, towards the end, does Declan want to get caught, right? Does he want to get caught? Maybe, you know, it's a good question, isn't it? It's funny, though, because we actually see in the trailer. So this isn't really a spoiler. He does get caught at one point. Right. And, yeah. and you, you, you hear him say the, to the ranger something along the lines of, oh, I'd like to face up against you. So does, yeah. does this just kind of show you how resourceful this guy is? Because clearly he's been caught and that didn't stick. Yeah. And I'll tell you something as well, James. It's not the first time he's been caught as well. And I'm not too sure whether this made the movie or not. But there's a whole uh, backstory exposition how Oleg and McBride actually came to meet. Basically, they actually met. Oleg and McBride, the backstory is they actually met in a high-security prison, right? Interesting. Yeah, I don't think, that's, I don't think this is in the, in the film, so it's, I don't think it's a spoiler, but yeah, they, they actually met in, in, in prison, and basically McBride offered Oleg a way out if he could protect him, basically. So they both broke out of a maximum security prison together. So Oleg kept, uh, Oleg kept McBride safe, and then McBride boosted him out. So he's very resourceful. You can't, you know, you can't keep him down. It's interesting because that kind of leads me to my next question. Because I was going to say, you know, nobody could do this alone. And you know how you know we'll talk about some of his allies and the loyalty towards him. There, does he kind of struggle with that? You feel like Declan? Does he struggle with the, you know, I want to be this chaos loose cannon, but at the same time, I do have this guy that's kind of been riding with me this whole time. I feel like the, the Oleg and McBride have a good time. You know, Oleg likes money and Declan pays well. And they have an understanding. Uh, obviously, there's a, a great amount of respect there. Yeah, I mean, if it were up to them, they'd be doing it forever, right? But obviously, Declan, through the course of the film, you, you can see that, well, there's one point in the movie, which I, I, I there's a certain scene that I love, when he meets someone from the past and he challenges Declan, you know, and it becomes somewhat self-reflective. Yeah, it's kind of like through the course of the film, it kind of toes the line a little bit. It does. 
because he's constantly reminded that he's coming to the end of his rope, right? All the doors are closing on him. So it's, it's interesting. No doubt about that. You all got to film in some very different settings, Dean. Did you have yeah. a favorite place or favorite location that you guys got to shoot at? Well, it was nice being back in England. I got some, I went to go see my mom. That was lovely. But yeah, it, it, it was great shooting in England. But I think LA were really cool. The aesthetics of shooting in the desert. It looks fantastic. I mean, you can shoot out there on anything and it's going to look brilliant. However, I did get sunstroke. True story. No way. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I'm not used to it, right? I'm just, you know, British, you know, half Irish lad, pasty as, as hell, right? And like, you know. I... A little bit more toasty than Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had my sunblock on and all that, James. But like, yeah, when you're shooting out in the desert for, you know, a couple of days and I was running about and stuff like that, I just wasn't climatized. So, but I did enjoy it. I'd say that like shoot, shooting in the desert was, was, was pretty neat. It's pretty cool. Yeah, oh, right we're there. glad you recovered from that for sure, because that's 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 no fun, my friend. That's no fun. No, really, but... really quickly, Dean, before I let you go, I, I, this is going to be maybe a little bit of a tough question, but who's your favorite person to share scenes with? Well, I'm going to say, I mean, I didn't obviously I, I didn't get to work with John, but like I've got to say, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Jane. And he was so gracious with me and he had all the time in the world for me. I, I've got to say that. It's it, it's fifty fifty. It's Thomas and it's Jess, you know, because they're the two two people I work with more than anyone really. But I, I've got to say this as well. I've got to give, give a big shout out well, to everyone involved, really. Do you know what I mean? To everyone involved, everyone worked so hard. Do you know what I mean? It's it's you know it were it were it were a challenging shoot. It was a good shoot, but a really good challenge. I got to say, I'm I'm a little sad you didn't get to have any scenes with John because I feel like that dynamic would have been really fun. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's fantastic, isn't it? It's just brilliant, isn't it? It's brilliant at anything that he does. Who knows what the future holds? You got to see it for yourself when One Ranger hits theaters and on demand on May the 5th from Lionsgate. Can't wait just for you guys to see what this guy's got going on. Dean Jagger for joining me. I appreciate it. Appreciate that, buddy. Thank you. One of the things I really loved about this movie, too, is it's a real throwback to, like, late 80s, early 90s, action movies and just this blending of styles together too made it really neat although it is it is modern i don't want you to get it's not like a time capsule type movie there's certainly modern technology everything's modern in the movie it just felt the vibe of it just felt like a classic throwback type movie so one ranger this blend of, of styles i think you're really gonna dig it so make sure you check it out whether it be in theaters or on demand i think this is gonna be one of those sneaky movies that you're really gonna enjoy yeah, thanks to Gene, Dean Jagger for joining me to talk about One Ranger. Up next, we'll enter the world of From once again. Talk to Nathan D. Simmons. He plays Elgin. He was on the bus. We'll try and grill him about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, everyone. This is D.B. Woodside from Lucifer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Got to be crazy to enter this town again, but the season's been so good. We got to go back and talk about From Season 2 on MGM+. And you saw some of those passengers on the bus. Got to talk about that. This week with Nathan, Nathan D. Simmons, he plays Elgin. And yeah, he was on the bus. He saw the visions. There's all kinds of stuff going on with him. Let's see how much we can get him to tell us about what's going on. All right, man, let's get in it. Season two of From has been amazing. I, I've, you've probably been at that asked us a million times. I'm going to try and ask you a little bit different way. Elgin's right. the only one that kind of knew something was up on that bus. So how much were mm. you told about what his story would be heading into the season? Ooh, honestly, nothing, nothing. It was, uh, it was like I had some, I had some little tidbits from like additions, size and stuff. And what I love about from, what I love about it is I get the episodes as soon as you do. So I knew what was happening in episode one and like episode two. And of course, I speak with John and Jack with some stuff, and then you just go for it, right? So yeah, 
But all I know, what I can say is that I know I had a dream. That's the thing that's clear. I had a dream that was really effed up, really like disturbing and kind of like just to like flip my entire view of reality on his head. Right. So, so get, getting them as they go, kind of like that, does that kind of help you help keep you in the moment character wise as well, as well? So, cause you don't really know what's coming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's an interesting process. Cause usually I like to find where I'm going so I can get there. But like, this is like, and it's the, the, the culture on set is like, you just, you, you know, what you know what your circumstances here are and you just do it. You know what I'm saying? And, and Harold's a, a, a great example of that. He gets his size, reason, boom, in it, and he goes and just like being there. And that's, I think it's, it's more exciting. It's more exhilarating because I feel everything true. I don't get to sit and ruminate on it. It's like the things I get, the stuff I, I see, you know, it's something that is present. It's not something I can plan too far in ahead for, right? No doubt, no doubt. Let's try and tease ahead a little bit though, because it seems like Elgin okay. was alone on the bus when, when they were going there. It's a hard place to try and get on alone, this, this town, this crazy town. So could we kind of see him maybe make some friends or at least find somebody to confide in at some point. Yeah, for sure. You know, like he's not uh, that much of a, of a loner and distrusting of everyone. I feel like there's people that he does, you know, for just open up to and certain people he feels more comfortable around than other people. Right. And that's something some people who decide he may even, you know, put his neck on the line for it. And I feel like that's, it's an interesting like journey, especially where he comes from and how less, how little he says he, he will say to people. And then all of a sudden for some reason, certain people he wants to open up to and, yeah, that his, this vulnerability is really, really beautiful. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Now, the shock of finding out where he ended up is is enough for anyone who's either been in the town forever or just got there. So do you kind of feel like that Elgin's visions, does, is that kind of making it harder for him for the shock to actually wear off? Because he actually got the shock before the shock. Yeah, absolutely. He, he get the shock before the shock, and then even as he's moving through the town, he's seeing other things and he's like, like that are making that shot come back. Cause he's like, shoot, this was part of the dream. And as he's moving through, like, it's like, he's reliving horrors that he, he, he lived through before, you know, like he experienced almost. Yeah. So definitely it's, it's a lot of people have a shock and they, they settle down, but for him, he's really just constantly moving because he's seeing things and re-experiencing things. No doubt. No doubt. Now trust is a tricky thing in this town. I think that that's mm -hmm. an easy thing to say, even for those who have been there a while, we kind of saw what happened to, to Elgin when he, when he found Boyd and Tabitha and Victor in the woods. So do you kind of feel like, is he being forced to trust people out of necessity or is it kind of maybe his nature to be trusting a little bit? You know, I feel like, I feel like he has, he's being forced out of necessity, right? Like it also goes because the people in the town have been very kind to him, right? Like Donna this is true. pulls out a shotgun immediately. <laughs> Boyd points a gun at him while there's monsters behind him, right? So people haven't been extremely, uh, like nice <laughs> so far but he, he'd rather be with people who don't look like monsters even if they may be monsters inside he'd rather be around them for his own survival good call good call now one of the things i love about this show too is that the fan theories from the frumily are just off the charts fun on social media have you kind of seen any theories about elgin that you thought were interesting we're not confirming anything but any theories you thought were interesting yes there's a few that are very interesting I and mean, a few that i even said Hmm. It's odd. There's a few, like, I remember seeing one and I'm like, oh, that's so weird because, you know, I actually thought the same thing when I was going into it. And some of them were really close to my heart, but yeah, some of them I'm like, huh? You think of what? <laughs> but okay, <laughs> see where that goes. <laughs> Did anybody nail it? Nah, nah, nah. Not oh, yet, no. see, so if you're trying, keep trying because you don't have keep, keep trying. Keep that's, trying. That's good. That's good. <laughs> of course, again, Nathan, no spoilers here, but there, there is there a particular character interaction or maybe a specific episode 
that you're really looking forward to fans seeing the season that's just got a lot of good stuff for Elgin in it? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I think episode six, I believe. That's, I think, one of my, you know, one of my favorites. I love, I love episode six. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil nothing, but I feel like things happen, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, now I, see, see yeah. you say that, and I've seen up to five. So now you're making me want to just go watch six right now just because you said that. Yeah. So, okay, okay. <laughs> Give me something to look forward to. Uh, Awesome. Awesome. So before I let you go, Nathan, obviously this is a heavy show, man. I mean, especially this season is pretty heavy. What do you guys kind of do to have fun when the cameras aren't rolling? Because I'm guessing you guys have to have a little bit of fun to kind of level things off a little bit. A lot of fun. Oh, man. Half the cast are comedians. That's what I can say. That's what the the funny part is. Half the cast are comedians. Harold is a big comedian. Ricky, Pega, Hannah, Cliff, Liz, they're all comedians, right? Yeah, and Cortion. Yeah, they're all comedians. And this is I feel like it's that energy that really helps balance out that the horror is like the lightheartedness, the, the funniness, like making things a joke and teasing each other that I really, really enjoy. Especially me. Like for some reason, like when I'm on set, I like I like cucumbers a lot. Like I have a low-key obsession with them. And I don't know, people like to make fun of me on set and stuff because I always have to bring my cucumber in every day. But yeah, it's it keep makes part of the family, you know? No doubt, yeah. no doubt. Now people are gonna be sending you cucumbers. So just- <laughs> <laughs> just watch out hey, for that now. <laughs> send them. I, listen, I I love cucumber. I go to so every day. I go to the grocery store, Sobeys, and I'm like, oh, I go in for steak and I buy cucumbers. So nice, yeah. nice. So send them cucumbers, cucumber seeds, whatever you need to do. But make sure you're watching from every Sunday on MGM Plus with all the new episodes of this season because it, it is a great and wild season for sure. And Nathan Simmons, man, thank you so much. For taking Thank the time. You. I appreciate you. Oh, nice speaking with you. Nice speaking with you, Jay. And I definitely feel like with Elgin, we're getting that slow burn treatment, right? But it just feels like something's about to pay off in a big, big way. And like he said, episode six is the big one for him. But make sure you're watching every episode of From on MGM Plus because there's a wild ride up until episode six. I could tell you that much for sure. Again, thanks to Nathan D. Simmons for talking to me about From this week. Up next, we'll revisit another show that's getting ready to have its finale, actually, The Big Door Prize from Apple TV+. Plus. I'll talk to Juliet Amara and Sammy Forlis. They're up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey, this is Hale Appleman from The Magicians, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could the Morpho mystery finally be solved? The Big Door Prize starts its big two-part finale on May the 10th, and I got a chance to catch up to two of your favorite members of the cast, and mine as well, Juliet Amara, who plays Trina, and Sammy Forless, who plays Jacob on the show. I know you love them together. I know you love them separately. Let's talk to them leading into this two-part finale. So, obviously, this is an ensemble cast, but the, the show tends to kind of put the spotlight on a specific character in each episode, even though it still focuses on the larger story, but fans are always just drawn to Jacob and Trina, it seems like every single week. What is, what is it about them that's just so relatable? I mean, they're cute. They're cute. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. I think that their love is so, their connection, their friendship, their secret romance is very sweet and very 
true that's what i was gonna say there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to it moment mm-hmm. to moment it's like, like a lot of something that i'm very appreciative of when consuming media is like people saying the right things at the right time that fits for them and it's like whenever i get a script and there's a scene between the two of us it's like most of the time all the time it's like you know we're saying what makes sense and what's coming from our characters hearts i think so i think so too yeah i think it's really surprisingly kind of like healthy like I don't know. In in the grand scheme of the relationships on the show, I feel like it's the most stable while at the same time being unstable. Yeah. Obviously from the situation with the whole cheating thing. And... Yeah. A lot of turbulence, <laughs> but the plane lands. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it does, or at least sometimes it does. And... Yeah. No doubt about that. No doubt. I was just going to say how complicated the relationship actually is, or at least it started out complicated anyway before you guys got such great feedback on this was there ever a part of you before you get these episodes came out that you were kind of worried like man is there going to be some backlash from this are people going to be mad you guys ever worried about that didn't think about that that much i mean i have like thought about it but i wasn't worried about it there's crazier stories that have been told like oh absolutely yeah it comes off in a very truthful way and even though it's like oh my gosh it's like you know, it, it's life. It, things happen. It's yeah. like it's part of it's. We're all individuals. We all have emotions. We're human. They're all imperfect characters, which is true about every single person on the planet, right? And I think that's what makes it so relatable and so easy to consume. I love that. That's very well put. I think that's a really, really good point. We saw Savannah kind of try and get her way into the mix, showing some interest <laughs> in Jacob, and yeah, the things were complicated between her and Trina as well. I mean, are, are they good now? Is Savannah still going to be a problem here? I think people want to know. Are, are we good? Time will tell. Sure. Time will tell. You know, you, you never know if you're good with someone. That's the thing. Like something could happen. Things could change. But for right now, where they are at right now, things are okay. But they're still young and they're still making mistakes and they're still learning and growing and loving and living. And let's see. Although it didn't seem like Jacob was all that into it anyway sammy are you kind of feeling that way too or eh? no yeah no jacob is jacob's got his eyes set he's good to go he's he's already in this deep into this into this craziness no i'm kidding he's uh yeah i think, I think jacob thinks that there's one person that's out there for him and it's funny because they talk about destiny and fate and he even has some thoughts on it and i personally I don't know if I feel a certain way about like the concept of the one, but I think Jacob leans a little closer to believing in something like that than I do. Yeah. And I think it's like a very sweet notion because I think a lot of us tend to feel that way when we're young, especially in teenagers. Ah, Ah, young love. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean for sure. Juliet, I want to ask you about this because we kind of saw the problems between Dusty and Cass. They've kind of been coming up a little bit more and it seems like Trina's starting to catch on a little bit more as each episode goes on. How concerned is she about them? I mean, uh, her parents <laughs> are going through like a midlife crisis at the same time that she's going through a quarter life crisis or, and I think, you know, she's hoping that they're going to get their shit together. How concerned is she? I mean, I think she's, she yearns for like a family that feels stable to like come home to a house that feels stable and parents that feel normal but she also wants so badly for them to feel happy and I think she has a mixed bag of emotions but I think in season one you know she doesn't really have 
too much time to delve into it because she's dealing with so much of her own personal grief and guilt and growth and blooming. It's certainly a difficult time for her, for sure. Sammy, th this might be a little bit of a spoiler for anybody that isn't caught up. So I want to make sure that I, I get that out there now. But we saw it looked like Izzy was about to smash that Morpho machine. And then Jacob stops her. Part of me is like, no, but then part of me is like, OK, good. So why do you think he stopped her? He has his reasons for sure. He will he'll lay them out. He knows that there's there's a bit more going on than meets the eye. And he uh, yeah. He had to step in there. He had to he had to hero the moment. So see now you said more than meets the eye. Now everybody's gonna think that's some sort of a spoiler that the Morpher machine's a transformer or something. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for that to just hit the internet I, for sure. <laughs> I've been saying that. Oh my god, I can't wait. I want it so bad. Yeah. And it just like starts punching people. I, I want it so bad. Oh, we're totally doing that now. Speaking of Izzy, though, we kind of saw her. She's really she really spilled some dirty laundry in this week's episode, not just about Morpho, but about almost everything so tease for us how bad is the fallout going to be from what izzy did Ooh. which one are we talking about eight yes oh cool yeah there's a little fallout there's yeah, a little fallout. fallout yeah she really opened the book and read the entire book out loud <laughs> i mean it was a lot it was certainly a lot yeah, yeah. it's 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 definitely a lot for sure. Uh, although I got I got to wonder from you guys' perspective, what do you, what's the question you'd want answered the most? Like where the Morpher machine came from, or finding out what determines what goes on each person's card? Because I feel like there there's a lot of questions you'd want answered. But which one of those two would you want? Where did it come from, and why? How is it so accurate? Oh yeah, that one that one's got me on on hold. There's so many questions about this Morpho. This Morpho is so insane. I know, and it's got everybody thrown into a twist too, for sure. We did see something else recently, though, that Juliet, that I wanted to ask you about because you're the professional dancer of the group. So I wanted to ask you, we've seen a lot of dancing on this show in the past. So other than yourself, who's the best dancer on this cast? Oh, Crystal. Oh, wow. That was a, that was a quick answer. I didn't realize she, that, that it was going to be that quick. She's a marvelous dancer and Gabrielle as well all three generations of women in the show all have all been professional dancers in their actual lives not as their characters so, nice nice I, I'm sure that there's going to be some great behind the scenes videos at some point that we, <laughs> that we get to see hopefully anyway hopefully speaking of which Sam you guys have such a great cast and it seems like you guys are having so much fun you've gotten to share scenes with so many people in the castle other than the beautiful Juliet Who's your favorite person to share scenes with on the show? Oh God, I don't know. I don't know if I have like a favorite person to share scenes. The thing about it, the scenes are they, they just carry such a different energy doing a scene with different people. Mm -hmm. But as far as like frequency goes, I think after Juliet's probably maybe Aaron, my dad, and we have some amazing times, and we've kind of just like come even closer and closer, and it's like reaching that point of like ultimate click where it's like things just feel amazing which is kind of you know it's kind of how our scenes feel when we're doing something and that's bound to come I think with anyone everyone on the show is so incredible it's like mm -hmm. just spending time doing things with them is great yeah absolutely before I let you guys go the good news is already out you guys are going to be back for season two so it's amazing that we already know that and congratulations on that I know it might be tough to talk about because we don't want to drop any spoilers or anything but what are your hopes for season two especially for your characters Trina gets a little bit of peace. I hope she gets a little bit of peace and I want to see her happy. I want to see her smile a little bit more and feel okay. 
and for, like forgive herself and understand and come to understand that situation more and also just like i want her to be happy i love her so much what do you think sammy i hope jacob just like takes takes some moments for himself or not sammy jacob did i say jacob you might have said sam you said jacob no you said jacob you're you're just so in you're just so in character man it's it's hard i get it flipped him i was jacob for a second yeah i hope i hope jacob kind of just gets his gets his moment to himself where it's just like just do something for yourself man and kind of be at peace what i okay to elaborate because i feel so bad i keep like my subconscious but yeah no i feel like jacob definitely he needs like he needs kind of just like to take some things in for himself and, and let himself be happy. No doubt. I hear that. We've still got that big two-part finale to go. As a matter of fact, big door prize every Wednesday on Apple TV Plus, a two-part finale beginning on May the 10th. Make sure you're watching it and re-watching it every Wednesday. Juliet, Sammy, thank you guys so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think they're right. In an interesting way, they are the most stable relationship on this show. And, and you just got to love them. Right. They're one of the reasons that I love this show for sure. And what's going to happen after Izzy's bombshell, I think, is one of the more, more intriguing things about this first season. The Big Door Prize episodes drop every Wednesday on Apple TV Plus. Still got a couple of episodes in season one to go starting this Wednesday. And yeah, season two is going to be coming soon. So make sure you're on lookout for that as well. Again, thanks to Juliet and Sammy for joining me this week to talk about the Big Door Prize from Apple TV Plus. Up next, it's time to talk about some Star Wars. Let's review Star Wars Visions next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Ray Chase, the voice of Noctis in Final Fantasy XV, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The groundbreaking new series is back. Star Wars Visions Volume 2 now streaming on Disney+. Plus. Again, started on May the 4th be with you. Since it just came out, I want to give a spoiler-free review of the entire season as a whole. And once again, just so many great animation styles showcased in this thing and just so many different stories. And before I talk about, you know, what episodes I liked, what episodes I didn't like, I do want to say that one thing I love that this, that Star Wars Visions does is not just broadens the world of Star Wars and not just broadens the, um, the kinds of characters that we see in Star Wars, but just, you know, gives us something different and that doesn't have to be 100% tied to canon. Now, there are some of these that make references to characters that are part of canon. So maybe some of these, maybe they're all part of canon in their own way. But there's certainly a couple that feel like they're more part of canon than others. So if Star Wars canon is important to you, I would you know, maybe push that to the side to be able to enjoy Star Wars Visions. But I think you probably should have learned that from the first volume in the first place. I will say this before I dig into some of my favorite episodes is that there's a theme here to a lot of these shorts. And I don't know if they got together in a room somewhere or something, but there was a theme to a lot of these shorts that I noticed. And and it's kind of spoilery if I give it if I tell you what it is and I I'm curious to see if you pick up on it the same way I did. There's also a lot of and I noticed this in the trailer. Remember I talked about this when the trailer came out was that there There was a lot of stories that dealt with kids. This, this, There was a lot of these shorts that are very kid-heavy. So if that's a problem for you, again, that's something that you might want to know going in. Now, was it a problem for me that it was kid-heavy? I don't think that was the problem for me, that it was kid-heavy. Because, you know, obviously I have kids, and, and I love stories about families, and, and you know, some there's some very heartwarming stories in some of these shorts as well. 
But at the same time, it almost felt like that there was a, a good chunk of these that were produced for a younger generation. And I don't remember the first volume being that way. And not that the two volumes have to be the, ex the exact same type theme, but I just thought it was interesting that it felt like the, these, these particular, some of these particular shorts were geared to more towards more of a younger audience. But I will say there were some that really stood out to me. And the first one was Sith, which was the first episode, which really, I mean, you really came out swinging with this one. It was almost like the entire short was living inside of a living, breathing painting. And visually, I could not keep my eyes off of this thing. And then you've got the story of this former Sith apprentice who's decided to, she's decided to kind of leave a peaceful life. And then she gets tracked down by her former master. And, you know, chaos sort of ensues from there. And it was just a wonderful, beautifully just animated short. And the story itself just really, really grabbed me. So I was really excited for this. And that's kind of, you know, that, that set the tone for me. I'm like, all right, here we go. But then after that, and I promise I'm not going to go in order, but then you've got Screecher's Reach, which is your first, you know, kid-centric episode. And it's about a young girl. It's almost like an Irish, an Irish feel for a Star Wars short, which I thought was kind of cool. And they, they, the kids show up at this cave and it's supposed to be haunted and once they get in there, this one particular girl finds something and she's kind of surprised by what she finds. And it was really, it really was visually haunting. It felt like, you know, scary Star Wars, which is something we don't get to see very often, but something we've seen in Star Wars visions before. So after these first couple, I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah, here we go. I kind of, kind of digging what they're doing here. And then you kind of get into thematically some a lot of stuff like I said there there was the, a pattern started to develop in the next couple although I will say that I'm your mother which I think was the fourth short about the young pilot named Annie and his and his mom and I say mom because it had like a, Br a British feel to it that was one where they decided you know what let's let's just have a little fun which I'm glad that we had one that kind of went that route and had a little bit of fun and then I thought it was kind of hit and miss from there although I so I will say the best short out of all of them for me, this is my opinion, was Journey to the Dark Head, which was, I believe, the fifth short, which was the, you know, just classic anime style short. And let me tell you, it was this young jet. It was about a young Jedi. And I believe a mechanic. I think she was a mechanic that kind of went off on this quest. And, you know, he, the, the, the Jedi, he doesn't want to go at first. And then all of a sudden that, you know, find your purpose for why you're going sort of thing. And like the saber duel, was amazing in this one. You also had a good backstory that connected the villain to the Jedi. That, that really, and in a short, it was really short amount of time to do this, but really establishing that backstory and then paying on paying it off later on in the short was really just really great, quite frankly. And just the, the characters, everything about Journey to the Dark Head was was exactly what I want from these Star Wars visions. Shorts is and it's and yes, you do have a younger Jedi, so that was you know that they made it a little bit more interesting, obviously. But just the battles in this, I thought were were very neat. Another one that had a surprisingly great saber battle in it was the Bandits of Golok, and again, it's about a a a young girl and her. I believe it's her brother in this thing, and they're trying to seek refuge. You know, they kind of had a little bit of a, a dust up on a train. And they're seeking refuge in this village. And again, chaos sort of ensues. But you will be very surprised by the saber battle 
in this thing. And I, I certainly was, because this was kind of a sleepy episode for me at first. A great CG animation style, don't get me wrong with you. You know, the story-wise was a little sleepy for me. And then you get this saber battle, and you're like, where did this even come from? So it just, it, you know, got my attention really, really quickly. So just be on the lookout for that. But that was, again, one of those episodes where there's a, again, there's a theme here. And in, in even, even Aou's song, which was a beautiful story, which was the last short of this thing, it, it was wonderful. But again, very thematically like a lot of the other ones. And, and I'll be honest, not a lot of these caught my attention like I would have wanted them to. But the ones that I mentioned are the ones that really stood out for me. Now, was there anything wrong with any of them? No, not necessarily. I thought they all told... There, there were certainly, like I said, there were some common themes in a lot of these, but there were all different stories, and I think they hit you on different levels as well. Even like The Pit, which was a story of, of survival and a story of prisoners that are trying to escape and you know get their life, lives back sort of thing. It, there was nothing wrong with any of these shorts and they were all visually again they were beautifully well done it's just i don't feel like they grabbed me as much as the shorts from volume one did so i have to kind of i can't help but compare and contrast the two volumes i just think volume one was stronger overall than volume two and had a little bit more of a variety of storytelling than volume two did as well, because obviously Volume One had some kid-centric episodes as well, where, where we're talking about younger characters here. But it felt like it was a more vast array of characters that we got in Volume One than we did in Volume Two. Still, still opening up the world, like I said. Still, again, diverse, diversity-wise, having a lot of diverse characters, which I think is great, and we need more of that in Star Wars for sure. But these shorts did not grab me as much as Volume One did. But that doesn't mean that they're bad. So I'm curious to know what your favorite might be. Go ahead and tweet me at down and nerdy seven five seven, or just reach me anywhere on social media. Let me know what your favorite was. That's gonna do it for my review of Star Wars Visions. Up next, gonna keep the Star Wars theme going and talk about Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures, also on Disney Plus and Disney Junior. We'll do that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm Haley Mancini. And I'm Jake Goldman. And we are writers for the Powerpuff Girls. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah. Maybe you're looking to get your little Jedi into Star Wars. Well, on Star Wars Day, we had something that might do just that. Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. You can also find it on Disney Junior as well. I want to give you my spoiler-free review of this because, I mean, let's face it, it's a kid's show. Do you need spoilers? Just I'll just give you my overall impression of this show as a dad and as somebody who knows, you know, what my kids like. So I'm going to kind of base it on that. Now, I want to make it perfectly clear before I even start talking about this show, because I see the the, the anger on social media from some so-called fans. It's like, this is a kid's show. This is 100% a kid's show. Don't get all up in arms about it. Seriously. I mean, it's a kid's show. It's a gateway show for young fans to find their way into Star Wars. Not everybody starts with A New Hope like I had to at my age because there wasn't anything else to start with, right? That that was it. We didn't have animated series for Star Wars and things like that to start with. Then we had comics and other things like that too, but that's not how we were able to get our start. This is how kids today can get their start, and it follows a trio of young Jedi. We have others too. We have we have Nubs, who's played by Dee Bradley Baker. And, you know, it's just a lovable creature. You have... You also have Kai Brightstar, who plays by Jamal Avery. And you also have 
Liz Soleil, who plays by who's played by Juliet Donfeld. Donenfeld, excuse me. And they, it's just a, a lovable group of youngsters, young friends, young Jedi, just trying to learn their way in the Jedi arts. And they have wonderful teachers. And, and Yoda is like like the dean of students sort of thing uh, of these Jedi. And they actually go off to another planet to do training. And that's kind of where uh, it, the, the name of the show is very apt, Young Jedi Adventures, because it's basically a weekly show about different adventures that these Jedi find themselves getting into, whether it be helping people or, or learning things about becoming a Jedi, learning things about, you know, like just growing up and teamwork and things like that. There's all the kind of things you'd expect to have in a kid's show, but set in the world of Star Wars, basically. And there's some fun stuff that happens, and they actually do have kind of like a big bad, which is interesting. It's Tabor, who is like a space pirate sort of thing, and he has his little crew as well. And it's interesting because Tabor and Kai actually have a specific rivalry. You see them battle a couple times in these first couple of episodes that have been released. And there's a little bit of a rivalry developing between the two of them specifically, which is kind of interesting. But it has a, it's, it's not really that intense, obviously. But at the same time, you feel the rivalry there. And it's a nice, you know, cartoon foil type thing. Whereas, like, if you watch a PJ Masks, things like that. It's it's kind of similar to that sort of dynamic. And of course, that's also a Disney show. So that kind of makes sense. But they find a way to create a nice gateway into this thing. Although I got to say, one of my favorite characters in the entire show isn't even a Jedi. It's Nash Durango. She's like the pilot that brings them to the planet in the first place. And she is just this really quirky, fun pilot character that is just off the charts. Amazing for me and and Emma Berman who plays the character deserves a lot of credit for that because she's just such a wonderful ray of sunshine in this show. I just love her so much immediately. I actually have not gotten a chance to get my three-year-old to watch this yet because I think my three-year-old is the one that might like this the most. But if you have a kid from the ages of, let's say, I want to go like three to six or maybe even two to six. I think two-year-olds could watch this. It's not scary at all. So I wouldn't really worry about kids being scared or anything like that. But this is one of those shows that if you've got young kids that aren't quite ready for the, you know, all of the all the things that come with Star Wars movies and all the things that even come with the Clone Wars and even Rebels to a certain extent. If they you don't just don't feel like they're ready to understand and appreciate the depth of storytelling there, this is a good way to kind of introduce them to the world of Star Wars and what's going on. And they do talk about Jedis and the Force and things like that. You get to find out who Yoda is and some other character references kind of dropped as well. You get to learn that there's a galaxy out there and how they help people and, and the Empire, things like that. You get to learn all of these things. But this is a very, very way to ease your kids into the world of Star Wars. And I love that that's how they did it. They really made it a point to make this an unapologetic kid show set in the world of Star Wars. This is something that I think we've needed for a while now because, let's face it, the, the shorts that they're posting on YouTube they, that they tried to do before, I don't even remember what, what it was called, but that was tried to be geared to a younger audience. That just didn't work. It just didn't quite work. This is one of those shows that I think they needed to do for younger fans, and, and I certainly 100% don't blame them for making something for younger fans. So you're, if you're an older fan, this might not be for you. But if you're somebody that has kids and you want them to love Star Wars as much as you do at some point, 
this is a good way to introduce them to it. And quite frankly, if you're an adult with an open mind, I think you'll enjoy this as well. But I think what more, more so for me anyway, I enjoy watching my kids enjoy something that's based in the world that I love. And I think that's the point more than anything. And it's a and it's a well done, well put together show. So Star Wars Young Jedi Adventures makes you watch it on Disney Plus or Disney Junior, whichever you prefer. That's my spoiler free review of Young Jedi Adventures. Up next, let's get into some nerd news, some serious topics this week. Actually, I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Martin Garrow, creator and executive producer of Blind Spot, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I guess you've got to strike while the iron's hot. It's time for nerd news. And I certainly don't want to make light of this because it's a very ser- serious situation with the Writers Guild of America currently on strike, or at least as of, as of I'm recording this anyway. This strike could end at any time. It could go on forever. I think the last writer strike lasted like 100 days or something like that. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to take sides. I'm not going to dive into anything, even if I have an opinion on this. I'm not going to share it with you right here. Normally, that's what I do, but I don't think taking sides in this issue is the right thing because I could go on forever. We could do an entire show on just this, and you know maybe we will at some point. But here's the deal. The writers are striking because they feel like they're not getting paid their fair share of profits from the shows and movies that they work on. It's the, that is the simple nuts and bolts of it. And with streaming and things like that, this is you know there's certainly a lot of things that still need to be worked on even since the last deal. What I do want to talk about is potential impacts on this because unless you're like a fan of like late night TV and shows like Saturday Night Live, this isn't going to be felt immediately. Right now, there is work that's not being done right now because no writer that's a member of the Writers Guild of America can work on anything at all, period, right now because they are on strike. So there's that. Now, if you're wondering, oh, what what does that do with shows that are currently in production? Well, shows like House of the Dragon, that's going to keep filming. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Powers, that's going to keep filming without its showrunner. Those are going to keep going because those episodes were already written, so they can still be filmed. Now, you're not going to get inputs from maybe the showrunner because they're not there for because of the strike. So that is a potential problem in filming, depending on how you look at it, because that is the, you know, the showrunner who's usually the head writer for any show. So not having writers available while you're filming is a risky little game, for sure. So that is something that needs to be considered. Also, you have to consider pre-production for certain movies like specifically I think DC is one of the is one of the ones that could actually suffer from this the most because what they're trying to do is relaunch their entire friggin' cinematic universe right and then you've got Superman Legacy which yes the first draft was supposedly written by James Gunn and turned in but you can't do any rewrites revisions reworks nothing like that so maybe you could still work on casting and the like but you can't really you can't really do anything with this movie until this strike is over and now you know who's going to blink first sort of thing and you know who's going to feel the pressure and the you know the studios are, are doing t- certain certain studios are doing tactics like, like you know stopping pay and then you know cutting off health insurance and things like that you know the typical work stoppage type stuff that you would see this is not the first strike of any kind in america certainly and if you know your history you know things that have been done some have been the extreme some you know not so much or you know at least on the short end of extreme who knows how long this is going to last because there's going to have to be a who blinks first type thing and negotiations will go as go again at some point if my gut tells me though that this isn't going to last very long because at some point 
somebody feels the pressure. Either you feel the pressure of not getting paid because you can't do your job because you're on strike, or you feel the pressure of, hey, we're going to run out of stuff to do here soon. Because even reality TV has writers. Believe it or not, that is something that's happening. Yes, they do still have writers for reality television. I don't know if that shocks you or not. But so it's just something to keep in mind as this goes forward here. But this, we might not even feel the effects of this for a couple of years. There could be ripple effects from this. So we'll have to wait and see just how long this, this lasts. But yeah, the longer this does last, the longer it's going to be a problem for your favorite movies and favorite shows. So that's just something to think about. I do want to talk about the trailer for Dune Part 2, which we know now know we're going to see on November the 3rd from Warner Brothers Discovery Pictures. And this is basically, to me, this trailer just feels like the rise of Paul Atreides. That's what it feels like. It feels like, you know, he's the one that has to take over the, for the family now. He's the one that is going to be looked at as the future ruler. And can he live up? to that expectation for the people of Arrakis. And we sort of see, we get to see, you know, his first sandworm ride, which, which really, really neat moment in the trailer. And you get to see our first look at Austin Butler's character that he's going to be playing. I'm going to really try to pronounce this name correctly. Friad Routh Harkonnen. I hope I did that justice. So I apologize to anybody that I didn't, but basically, yeah, this is a horrible Horrible dude. If you know if you know this character from the books, you if you know you know, sort of thing. And he's basically it's his job to take down Paul Atreides and his army. He's actually the younger nephew of the Baron. If you were trying to figure out exactly how he's connected, and you get to see that he does look very formidable in this first trailer, for sure. But we also have plenty of other troublemakers to talk about. We got Lady Jessica that we get a little bit of a glimpse of in this trailer as well. And yeah, just because she's Paul's mom doesn't mean she's not going to be a problem. Let's just, let's just keep that in mind right now. And then you've also get I, the, the one that really has my attention though is Florence Pugh's character, a princess, Arulan. Now remember there was at one point she was going to marry Paul Atreides and, you know, come and combine power and all of those things. But that's, Clearly not happening because he seems pretty hung up on Zendaya. And, you know, why wouldn't he be sort of thing? So uh, there's just a lot of potential balls in the air for this movie in just one trailer. And they really do give us a lot in this thing. We get to see the aftermath of the attack. We get to see, you know, you know, so many things that are going to be happening. We get to see that the, there's definitely a battle brewing. And it seems like Paul Atreides is winning over the free men. So I really think that this is something that could be more epic than the first one. I thought the first one was pretty darn good, but we also look at the fact that, yeah, this one could have even more of an impact because now you're, you can dive deeper into the story, right? You can absolutely 100% just put the pedal to the metal and go because the introduction phase is over and we get to see a lot of action and epicness in just this one trailer. So we'll have to see how it goes and see how Dune Part 2 shakes out. We've got until November to wait for it. I'm sure there's going to be more trailers and things like that to come before then. But yeah, this one is a very, very good first start. This story I want you to take with a grain of salt. Now, the rap is reporting that 
Carl Urban will actually be playing the live-action Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat 2. Now, the, the quote from the article is, in final talks, and I think you got to kind of take this with a grain of salt for that reason. I have my reasons why I'm taking it with a grain of salt that I'm not going to share with you out loud right now, but let's just go ahead and look at this. Let's just say this is true. Let's just look at it from that perspective. Now, do we love Carl Urban? Yes, we do. We absolutely do. Do we want somebody like Carl Urban to play Johnny Cage that is a legit good actor that everybody loves? Yeah, we do. But I, I got to say, I don't know that he's the right dude to play Johnny Cage. I'm being honest. It's just I don't see it. And I love Carl Urban, but I always thought like he would be more of a Kano than a Johnny Cage. Is anybody with me on this? Because... I, I want somebody that's legit to play Johnny Cage, but at the same time, I'm just not sure Carl Urban's the right guy. And maybe I'll be surprised, and I'm sure I will, because Carl Urban's amazing, and I'm sure that he could play any role spectacularly well. I just don't see this. And I thought that would actually go with somebody a little bit younger. No, Again, no disrespect to Carl Urban there either, and I thought we'd get a younger Johnny Cage. So, again, I, I just don't know that this is actually going to happen, that this is actually true. We'll, we'll have to find out soon enough, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's true, but I also wouldn't be surprised if it isn't. I want to sneak this in really quickly, too. It is official now that Kevin Costner is going to be exiting Yellowstone after this fifth season, this according to Entertainment Tonight. Now, the day I, the news actually came 24 hours after his wife Christine filed for divorce. I don't know if there's any connection there, but that's just an interesting little nugget to throw in there. Now, this is apparently due to dis- disagreements with his schedule and things like that and clashes with creator Taylor Sheridan and things like that. So where do you go from here if you're Yellowstone? Honestly, if I'm if if you if you watch Yellowstone, you have to ask yourself, is John Dutton the most interesting character and the most interesting story on the show? And I'm not sure he is. Obviously there's a lot of John Dutton. There's a lot of reason like the the straw that's stirring the drink sort of thing. But isn't Rip and Beth the more interesting and intriguing story? Don't we also have Jamie in the mix as well? Doesn't he bring a little bit more intrigue into the story? There's a lot of characters here that can carry a story. I mean, you could, you could throw Casey in the mix as well. There's a lot of characters that have interesting stories that have absolutely nothing to do with John Dutton or don't really have to have anything to do with John Dutton. And the absence of John Dutton could actually take the story in a whole different direction which if going into a season six, that might not be the worst thing in the world, right? Is to kind of not necessarily reinvent yourself, but find a different path for the show should you want it to continue. And I think that we do. So the absence of Kevin Costner, while the wow factor is that not there anymore, where you've got your biggest name that's off the show. Now the show has made a name for itself, despite him, almost. Obviously, he's a major draw still, for the show because of his name, but that's a that's more important for a season one, season two type thing. This show is super popular for a reason, and it's not just because of Kevin Costner. There's plenty of other characters to love on this show, so I'd be very curious to see what his absence would do to the show, or are we going to go the Matthew McConaughey route like had been talked about before? I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. It's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I had a ton of amazing guests. I want to thank them for coming on this week. Follow along at downandnerdypodcast.com and also at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram, at downandnerdy on Facebook, at downandnerdypod 
on TikTok. I'm thinking about restarting the Twitch thing again, too. So I'll, we'll, we'll get into that once we get closer to it. But remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.